I want to begin just with a reading of the resurrection story from Mark chapter 16. And then I want to preach today a simple message titled Declarations from the Empty Tomb. Declarations from the Empty Tomb. But in Mark chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, that's great. You can follow along with us. If you don't, the words will be on your screen. Or if you have an app, that's completely fine as well. Mark chapter 16 says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another to two of them as they walked and went in the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, would you walk with me to the place they call Golgotha? It's the place of the skull. It is Historically, the place where criminals would be punished by crucifixion. It's where people went to die. Would you go with me in your mind? It's specifically where Jesus, the man who claimed to be the Son of God, it's where he was nailed to a wooden cross, <clears throat> sentenced to die between two criminals. That man on the middle cross there, Jesus, had made quite a stir over the last three years or so. He made some outlandish claims, specifically that he was the Son of God, Messiah, Jehovah God's only Son. As you can imagine, some of those friends and relatives believed him and followed him. But unfortunately, most rejected, even of his own people. He had performed a lot of miracles. No one could really argue against that. I mean, they had seen people that were blind get their sight. No one could argue the miracles that Jesus had done. They had seen the little boy or the little girl who couldn't walk, uh, stand up and walk. But he made such outlandish claims 
that he was the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament law had spoken of. But he had made those blind people to see. He had made those maniacs come into the right mind. He had made the lame to walk. He had fed 5,000 men with just a bag of a sack lunch. The list could go on. But no matter how much good this man Jesus, the one that hung on the cross in between the two criminals, no matter how much good he did, he never could please the religious leaders of the day. There were a few groups of religious leaders. The most popular and the most spoken of would be the Pharisees. And these were leaders of the church, leaders in the temple, the Pharisees would use the law to find fault in Jesus. Jesus couldn't do anything good without the Pharisees finding something. If he healed, well, why did you heal on this day? If he did something, well, why, would, why did you do it in this manner? And everything he did, the religious crowd found fault in. And it got uglier and uglier over time. His Public ministry lasted three years, a little bit longer than three years. But it had finally gotten to the point to where the Pharisees and the other groups of religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. They put out an arrest warrant. They wanted him killed. They believed him to be a fraud, that he was not who he claimed to be. And they wanted him gone. They didn't want him showing up in a city and causing a stir and healing a few people and, and preaching that he was the Messiah they were done. They even convinced a mob of people to, to beg for the release of a murderer, Barabbas. Will you release the murderer and put Jesus on the cross? They were committed to the death of Jesus. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Some people followed. They were called his disciples. They followed him, they left everything. They left their families, they left their careers, they left everything to closely follow Jesus. And it would seem that they would follow him through anything, even all the way to his death. But as these events began to unfold, as Jesus hung on that cross, one of them, his disciples, Judas, betrayed him, gave him over to the angry mob. Peter, one of his closest, three closest disciples, Denies him three times the night before. Another one, Thomas, is known by his doubting. Did you remember the scripture? Two different times they went and told the disciples that he had risen. And what did the scripture say? They didn't believe them. It's a lot to take in, this man Jesus. This man that's on that cross. This man that's on the hill Golgotha. But that's where we're at. That's where I want your mind to be is this man is hanging on a cross. Between him are two thieves. We find that one of them accepts and one of them rejects him as they stand to his right and to his left on their cross. But we're at Golgotha and Jesus accepts the penalty of sin. The wrath of God is poured out on him. As he's on that cross, 
And I think sometimes we think that Jesus, with a loud voice, penetrated the air and said, It is finished! I, I don't believe that's the way it was. I believe Jesus had exerted every bit of physical energy that he had. Unable to be recognized on that cross. And he utters the words, it it is finished. He can barely get them out. The soldiers, instead of breaking his bones, they thrust a sword through his side. And most people believe that it punctured his heart. That water and blood fell, poured out like a river. Holy blood, precious blood. But his body is removed and it's taken to a tomb. There's a man named Joseph. Joseph says he can use the tomb that I have. Honestly, just thinking logically, Joseph probably is thinking, I'm not going to be used anytime soon. Maybe he was a younger guy. And they take Jesus off that cross. They unhook him from those nails. And they take him to the tomb that Joseph gave him. They placed his lifeless body. And by the way, it was lifeless. Completely lifeless body. In Joseph's tomb. There was no fanfare. There was no hoopla. There was no ceremony. No close followers were nearby. Even the closest and best of his followers had kind of walked away during his death. And there lay Jesus, the man who claimed to be the Son of God, the man who claimed to be the Messiah, the man who claimed to be the Savior of the world. There he laid in a tomb, dead, lifeless. As seen by the reaction of the vast majority of his closest followers, I think we can say this, all hope was lost. All hope was lost. Jesus, you mean to tell me for three and a half years that I followed you, that I left my job, that I told my family that I was gone and they wouldn't see me again because I followed you, because I believed you, and now you're dead? Jesus, you mean the one who just a couple of days before you, we had a meal together? Now he lay lifeless. But what they didn't know was that this was part of the master plan. As Jesus had predicted on numerous occasions throughout his life, His death would not be the end. His body would be destroyed. He predicted that. But in three days later, he would rise again. And go with me to that tomb, and we're not here to discuss a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday death of Jesus, or however the math works out in your head, that's fine. But I want you to go with me to that tomb now. We've removed him from the cross He's in, the, he's in the empty tomb, and he's there, and the Bible says that on the third day. Okay, so however you want to do your math, 
on the third day with one heartbeat, with one breath, with one flicker of an eyelid. Jesus is alive. And that specific moment, no one was there. No one was an eyewitness. But in that moment, Jesus came back to life. And this morning, I'm here to declare to you that that is the single most important moment in the history of human civilization. When Jesus breathed his breath, when his heart beat for the first time, when his eyes opened for the first time. For you see, this is what separates all other religions, all other belief systems. Every religion has a savior. Every religion has someone that they worship. Every religion, many religions have some that died for them and they commemorate their leader's death every year. But what separates all of the other teachings and the other belief systems uh, from biblical Christianity is that we believe that our Savior didn't stay dead but that He supernaturally woke up from that grave and He rose again. And this morning, in that moment, when He opened His eyes, when He breathed His breath, When his heart beat again, he made some statements. Now, there are no verbal statements recorded in Scripture. But the implications of what he's saying when he opens up his eyes this morning is what I want to share with you this morning. Declarations from an empty tomb. May I say, first of all, this morning, the empty tomb declares that you are loved. The empty tomb declares that you are loved. I'm going to let you quote this verse with me because you probably know this verse, the most famous verse in the history of the Bible, but it's the most famous verse in the history of the Bible because the truth contained in John 3.16 will change your life. Will you read it with me? It's on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should not perish but have everlasting life. What an incredible verse. What an incredible verse. But you know, that's not the only John 3.16 that displays the love of Jesus. Can we read together 1 John 3.16? You ready? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me say this this morning. There is not a place on this earth that you can run to physically or run to spiritually, that the hand and arm of God's love cannot extend and bring you back close to Him. Can I say that again this morning? I don't care how far gone you think you are in your spiritual life. I don't care this morning how bad you think it is. I don't care how bad you think you are this morning. Certainly God couldn't save a sinner like me. Well, let me. I'm here to tell you today that the empty tomb declares that you are Loved, And there is nowhere you can go today. There's no distance you can travel today to be outside of the reach of God's amazing love. And you can clap for that this morning. Listen, this morning your friends may have forsaken you. Your family 
may have turned their back on you. You may be in a relationship right now with someone who has pushed you away. Life might be terrible right now. You might think that friends have forsaken you, family has forsaken you. Your job, it might be a terrible time right now for you. But may I just say today to lift up your eyes on Easter Sunday. Because because he walked out of that grave and because he opened his eyes, you are loved. You are loved and you're not loved by a dead Savior. You're loved by a living Savior. The empty tomb declares that Jesus loves you. The empty tomb secondly declares that you are forgiven. Forgiven. You say, Josh, you don't understand. The list of my sins. You don't understand the love of my Savior. You don't understand the list of my sins. No, you don't understand the love of my Savior. You are forgiven. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he took the penalty of sin for you and for me. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that he became sin. Every sin you ever committed, Jesus became that on the cross. And he bore the wrath of God on the cross to say that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. You see, forgiven to humans means I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I'm going to remove that from you. But as humans, what, do we, what can we not do? Forget. We're, we act like we can. Let's be honest. You're in church, you can't lie. All right? You tell somebody, hey, I forgive you and I'm going to forget it. No, you're not. Shut up. You lie. We all remember, don't we? And we, like, we put on this face, and maybe that person, like, oh, that's all good. We all remember. Supernaturally, Jesus forgives and forgets. As supernatural it is that Jesus knows every detail about you, in the same way he supernaturally forgets the sin that he forgave. I can't explain that to you. That's a supernatural aspect of our holy son of God, Jesus. But you are forgiven this morning. And not only are you forgiven, humanly speaking, he forgot. He forgot supernaturally. Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions, forgives, for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. You are forgiven. Every sin, every feeling of guilt, every bad decision, every reminder of your past, every mistake that you've ever made, forgiven and forgotten. Because Jesus opened his eyes and he walked out of an empty tomb. You're loved this morning. You're loved. You are forgiven this morning. Supernaturally forgiven. What else does the empty tomb declare? What was Jesus making a declaration of as he walked out of that tomb? You were loved, you were forgiven. And he was saying this, I am who I say I am. I am who I say I am. 
By this time in his ministry, Jesus had been a fraud to the religious leaders. Jesus had been a liar to the religious leaders. And up until this point, they had won. Imagine the feeling the Pharisees and religious leaders had when Jesus died on that cross. We've won. He was a fraud. You say you're the son of God? Take yourself off the cross. He didn't do it. You say you're the son of God? We'll call those 10,000 angels and have them take you off that cross. He didn't do it. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's as if he was looking the Pharisees and his rejectors right in the eye and saying, I, I was right. I am who I say I am. And this morning, the declaration from the empty tomb is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is everything he said he was and more. The resurrection put the entire world on notice that this man that most had rejected, this man who had performed these miracles but had said all the wrong things, that he was right. And he was, in fact, everything that he claimed to be. The empty tomb, Jesus declares, I am who I say that I am. Fourthly, this morning, the empty tomb declares that death has been defeated. Listen, we live in 2022. There's an app for everything, okay? You can figure your way around anything and everything. People don't even grocery shop anymore, right? It's like, I'm going to go grocery shop and I'm going to pull this up on my phone real quick. I'll have it delivered. It's like, oh, I need to be in Japan tomorrow by tomorrow. We're there. There's a lot of things that we've advanced in, especially in the last, let's say even 30 years, but definitely the last 100 or so years. We've advanced. But there's something that we will never and have never been able to conquer in our own finite brains and minds. You know what that is? The fact that every single one of us one day will die. Nobody likes to talk about that. But you know what Jesus said when he opened his eyes? He was the first one ever on his own power and on his own will to conquer death. To conquer death. Now certainly we know he had performed miracles of raising Lazarus from the dead and others like that. But he declared that he had overcome death. Jesus defeated death. He proved his power over death. And may I say this this morning? If you have a loved one or friend who has died and gone on to, to be with the Lord, he has overcome death. He has overcome death. And now we'll all experience a physical death. But he overcame that, that spiritual death. We no longer have to experience separation from God forever because Jesus opened up his eyes. Death has been defeated. When Jesus rose from the dead, when he opened up his eyes, when he breathed that first breath, when his eyelids just fluttered, he declared that you can live in victory. You can live in victory. John chapter 10 and verse 10 tells us this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it 
more abundantly. Listen to me this morning. We sang about it today. Raised to life. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You know what the tomb declared? Because he rose in victory, you can live in victory. Listen, believer, maybe this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to walk around defeated. You don't have to live under the circumstances of this life. You can live in victory today because Jesus lives in victory over the grave. He rose in victory so that you could live in victory. And I see people that claim uh, the name of Jesus, and they walk around and they're mopey and, and things are always, it's always bad and it's always bad and it's always bad. And I want to say, Jesus rose again to give you abundant life. Life, some versions say, to the full. You can live in victory. You can live and victory. And the last declaration this morning, this wasn't an exhaustive list, but the last declaration from the empty tomb this morning was that we will live together eternally. We will live together eternally. Shortly after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. In fact, the book of Mark, if we continue reading, it rolls through it real quick. Like he ascended. Those disciples that were seated there, they looked up. He ascended into heaven. What did they do? Like a kid looking at an iPad, right? They just stood there, looking up. What had to happen? Angel said, hey, listen. You're moving. But, but he said he's coming back. Yeah, he will. But get moving. They literally thought that he was going up for like a few seconds. That he would return to them. That, that's how much the disciples believed in the resurrection. I'm, I'm sorry, in the, in the second coming of Jesus. That's how much they believed. But what was Jesus doing? He ascended into heaven he left us the Holy Spirit as a promise, the book of Ephesians tells us. It's a promise and a guarantee of what is to come. And he went to prepare a place for us. Listen, there's a lot the Bible says and a lot about the Bible doesn't say specifically about that place that he's prepared for us. But all we know is this, he's there. He's there. And you and I, on that day, we can live forever, eternally, in perfect harmony with our creator, Jesus. We're going to sing a song at the end. That's all that's going on. When Jesus opened his eyes, he declared that you can live with him eternally. I want... This man named Jesus who declared that he loves you. He declared that you're forgiven. Do you, I'm going to ask you an honest question. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you have an authentic relationship with Jesus? That's my question. Do you have a real, authentic relationship 
with Jesus. I didn't ask you if you grew up in church. I didn't ask you if you went to Sunday school. I didn't ask you if you knew all the words to Because He Lives. I didn't ask you if you were fluent in Christianese. I didn't ask you if you, knew, if you called people brother and sister. I didn't ask you if you could have quoted John 3.16 with no words up there. I'm asking you a simple question. Do you have a real relationship with this man named Jesus? That's the only question that I have for you today. He prepared, he ascended. The empty tomb declared that he reserved a place for you to be with him for eternity. Would you do me a favor this morning? Would you bow your heads right where you're at? God didn't make it difficult for you to come to him. He didn't make it difficult. And it was difficult on Jesus. But for you, what does he tell you? He says to repent and believe the good news. To repent and believe. Repent means that we turn from our sin, that we turn from our thoughts, that we turn from our way. We turn from our good works and we turn from everything that we have tried to do to earn favor with God and to earn a relationship with God. We repent of that and we believe that Jesus and only Jesus, as we sang about earlier today, that only Jesus can bring us into a relationship with God. Only Jesus can take us to be with Him forever, eternity, in eternity in a place called heaven. It's only Jesus. It's no work that you can achieve. It's nothing that you can do this morning. And may I ask you, if you're seated in your seat today and the Holy Spirit is pulling on you and you don't really know what that means, but you know that something is going on on the inside and someone is drawing you, I want today to invite you to simply repent and believe on Jesus. Right there where you're seated. I'm not going to ask you to say a word out loud. I'm not going to ask you uh, to, to stand up or anything this morning. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in the stillness of this moment. Draw a circle around your seat and it's you and it's God. And I want you to say something like this. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm far from perfect. I acknowledge my sin before you. I realize that all have sinned and I'm one of those people. I understand there's a penalty for sin. That penalty is death in a place called hell. But I believe that you came and you lived the life on this earth that I couldn't live, the perfect life. And you died on the cross, the death that I deserve to die. I deserve to be the one on the cross. I'm the one with the sin. But you died my death. But you didn't stay dead. I believe that you rose again. And Jesus, today I repent of my sin and I believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus and Jesus only. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a home in heaven with you when I leave this earth. I wonder if you're here today and the only thing I would ask you to do just so that I can honestly just kind of rejoice and celebrate with you. Every head's bowed and every eye is closed this morning. If you prayed a prayer like that today to begin a, a relationship with Jesus, man, we would love, oh man, that's what we live for. 
to pe- for people to take that step. That step. If you made that step today, it was a simple step. If you made that step today, would you simply lift your hand up beside your head and you can take it back down after that? If you made that step today, would you lift your hand? Take, amen. I, a couple, man, that's awesome. Anybody else this morning say, Josh, I took that step of faith today. Would you let us know by raising your hand? Thank you so much. One day, those of us that have done what these couple of folks did this morning, and that is to begin an authentic, real relationship with Jesus. One day, we will all be together. You remember the criminals on the two sides of Jesus? You can look this way. You remember the criminals on the two sides of Jesus? One of them rejected, one of them accepted. The one that accepted will join us one day in eternity. And I know we've got loved ones up there that we want to see. How many of you have a loved one you want to see one day? I know we've got friends that we want to see. May I propose to you today that the one that we will see is our Savior. And maybe you get the the privilege of standing beside that criminal and bowing your head to the ground on your knees with tears in your eyes singing something like holy 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 would you stand with me and worship as we close thanks for listening today if you're listening for the first time we would love to hear from you maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.